Let's pray together. Lord, as we look into your word again today, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we are your children. You are our Father. And you know what you want to say to us today. And so, Lord, we sit at your feet and we ask that you, Father, through your Spirit, would speak to us through your word. Lord, touch our hearts and our lives, we pray. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Have you ever sat outside, or inside, but I used to do it outside, still do, on a nice summer's night and you, you sit there in your garden and you look up at the stars and you start thinking about the big questions in life. Have you ever done that? You think about, you look at all those stars that are up there and you think, is there another one of me somewhere else? You hope not. But you think, like, is there life anywhere? I mean, we've never found it, have we? They spend billions sending probes out everywhere. But they've never found life that we can see as life anywhere else. But you wonder, with all those billions and billions of stars and galaxies and goodness knows what else, there must be, mustn't there, be life somewhere else? And you start thinking about those big, big questions. Maybe a little bit closer to home, you you think about questions around you. Where do we come from? Do we descend from apes or not? Did God make us as, as humans as we are? Or did we kind of evolve somehow? Is that why I like bananas so much? You wonder... And you think about, well, how did it all start? And the Big Bang Theory. And I was in Cambridge University one time. Went there for a lecture from this guy that was a, I don't know, I can't even pronounce the title of what he called himself. But he was basically talking about the, the start of the universe and how the universe expanded and there are multiple universes and, and how it all fits together and it made perfect sense when he was talking until I came away after and I went, what was that? And Enika said to me afterwards, she said, how did that go? And I, yeah, it was good. It was really good. Well, what did he say? I, I don't know. Something about balloons and things, I don't know. But they're trying to understand how, how it all fits together and, and you think about these big questions. Well, there's other questions that you ask yourself. How do we know between right and wrong? Who decides? Who decides what's right, what isn't right? When I'm driving down the motorway, I often think, why, why 70? We're in church, so, you know. But why, why not 80? Because everybody's driving 80, why not make... And if they move the goalpost to 80, would we all start driving 90? Why, why 30 in a build-up area? Why, who made that decision? Why do they do it? And you ask yourselves these questions. How do we help the poor in the world? You know, it's one thing to give money, but is that really solving the problems? And the problems are so complicated today, aren't they? That's why we need to pray for our leaders. 
because there are no simple answers to the complexities of the world in which we live. And you, you sit there and you think about all these big questions. Do you ever do that? And then you think about closer to home. We have questions every day, don't we? Do I really have to get up now? It's usually the first question of the day. Five more minutes. Is that, is that going to make me late? Can I, can I, especially in winter, isn't it? When it's cold and it's horrible and you can hear the rain outside and you just think, you know, surely, surely I can get away with it. And then you get up and you think, well, what am I going to wear today? What shall I put on? Which, which clerical shirt shall I put on? Which fancy style shall I wear? What will I need to look like? Had somebody came up to me the other day, they were going to a christening on a Saturday in a Catholic church. They said, what do we wear to a christening? Haven't been before. What, do, do, we, do we go in suits and, and, and dresses? or What do I wear? Can, can I, because there's a reception afterwards and I don't want to be all decked out and then I'll feel uncomfortable in the reception. and um, I don't want to take a whole wardrobe with me, so what do I do? You can tell I wasn't talking to a guy here. You know, so they, they, what do I wear? It kind of depends, doesn't it? It depends on the situation that you find yourself in. I had an invite to go somewhere recently. It said smart casual. What does that mean? <laughs> What's smart casual? Is this smart ca- Like, what is smart? Does that mean a suit, a jacket? What, what does it mean? And we have all these kind of questions. And then the Bible gives us loads of questions as well. The Bible talks about us being the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, talks about us being the bride of Christ. If you've been married, do you remember? We were at Luke and Ellie's wedding. How long ago was that? About a year and a half, was it? A year ago. You know, and, and there she was, she walked down, and I remember Luke standing there looking nervous. He was trying not to shake, but you could tell. And he looked round and he said one word when he saw Ellie. He just went, wow. That was it. That was what he said. Because she looked absolutely beautiful as she walked down to meet him. And we are the bride of Christ, which means that God looks at you and looks at me and looks at his church. And he wants to say... Wow. He wants to look at you and go, whoa. And he doesn't look at the outside. The Bible makes that quite clear. 1 Samuel talks about God looks at the heart, looks on our inside. He checks out what's inside of us and he wants to go, wow. That, that's a son, that's a daughter that I'm just like, I'm falling in love with because they are so beautiful. Is that you? He wants to look at a church and go, look at that church. Wow, I'm falling in love with that church. That group of believers, as they come together, I'm falling in love with them because they're just, when I look on the inside, when I look below the surface, I just, I just drawn to what I see. And so God looks at us like that. And when he does that, he wants to see those kind of characteristics within us that draws him 
to us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of those characteristics inside of us. What is it that makes us beautiful to God? That's what we're looking at. What makes us irresistible to God? What is it that we need inside of us, part of our lives, part of the life of His church, that He's going to look at Trinity or look at you and look at me and go, wow, that's, that's where I want to invest my time, my energy, my spirit. That's, where, that's my bride. That's the one I'm going to show off to everybody else. And go, have you seen my bride? Have you seen what she looks like? She is amazing. What is it that makes us like that? Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 63. Now, when you think about this, this is a Psalm of David. And when you think about David and his life, he doesn't really strike you as someone who you would put up there as an example to follow. Now, you remember David, what did he do? Well, he was a little shepherd boy. He's pretty good at that. So that was cool. And then do you remember he was taking the food, the cheese and the wine up to uh, his brothers who were on the, on the battlefront? And then he fought Goliath. And that was really cool because he slayed Goliath. And then he became king. Before all of that, he was anointed as king, but it took a time because Saul then hunted him. And he ran away into the wilderness. But he was still there, and then finally he became king. And then things started to go a bit downhill, didn't they? Do you remember what he did? He he was out, his army was fighting. He should have been out fighting with them, but he couldn't be bothered. He decided to stay behind. And when he stayed behind, he was out one time in his palace looking over the rooftops, and he saw this beautiful lady. And he said, I'm king. And she's really hot. I fancy her. Go find out who she is. And so he sent people out and said, well, that's Bathsheba, but she's married. Well, that's a bit of a problem, he said, because there's a law, and I can't marry her if she's already married. But then he started this scheme, and he said, well, who's her husband? Well, first of all, uh, find out who he is. And he ordered her to come over, and he slept with her, and she became pregnant. Not a good start. And then he said, well, let's, I better do something about this. So he brought the husband back, and he said, if he sleeps with her, then he'll think that it's his child. Let me cover it all up. But do you remember in the story, he refuses to sleep with her, because he's a, he's a leader in the army, and he says, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. I'm not going to take it easy here when all my fellow troops are out having a hard time. So he refused to go in the house. He slept in the doorway. And David's going, this is no good. Everybody knows he's not going in with Bathsheba. What's going on? So he sends him back out and he says to the other commanders, when he's out in the thick of the battle, remember? He says, pull back, let him be killed. And the guy is slaughtered. And David goes, great, now I can take Bathsheba. She can become my wife. Fantastic. And this is the guy that the Bible holds up to be some kind of example that we're to follow. Now, if he had been living today... He would be in prison. He would have a life sentence. He would be locked away. We'd all be going like, well, he wasn't much good, was he? Look at what he's done. And yet the Bible holds him up and says, David, he's a guy you should follow. Now why? 
Why does the Bible do that? What is it about David that God saw and invested into him? Even with all this other mess in his life, the manipulation, the murder, the the promiscuity, everything else, what was it about David that God saw and that God decided therefore to use in his life? Well, let's look at Psalm 63 because this gives us an insight into the first characteristic that that David had in his life and we need to have in our lives if we are to be the bride of Christ. Psalm 63, it says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let's stop there. The first thing we see is a real openness to God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. The first characteristic we need to have, if we're going to have the same kind of hunger for God that David had, is that openness. You can't learn anything unless you're open to learn. I said at the early service, when I went to college, I trained as a civil engineer first. And I'll never forget, I was in college and there was this guy that came in and he plugged himself in every lecture into his music. He had a little Walkman as it was in those days, rather than an iPod or whatever now. And he plugged himself in, he had these big speakers that he stuck on his ears and he sat there in lectures, every single lecture, just going like this. His head was going, right? He was just listening to music. Next lecture... He'd come, he'd switch it off, go around to the next lecture, plug himself in, same thing, like this. And the lecturers were looking at him going like, and they were even having conversations. It was so loud, the music, nobody sat next to him, because the music was too loud, you couldn't hear the lecturer if you sat next to him. It was just, yeah, 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 you know. He was just sitting there. And the lecturers, we, they started having conversations with it. Do you know who that guy is? And we said, well, we know his name. That's about it. And they said, well, what's he doing? Does he do that in all the lectures? Uh-huh. Pretty much. He just sits there, goes like this. And we're having this conversation, and he's sitting there, and he's just bouncing his head up and down, listening to his music. He didn't last very long in college. By the end of the first term, they threw him out. And they said, you don't want to be here, so what's the point in being here? And so he went on his merry way, bouncing his head up and down. And goodness knows what happened to him. But the problem was, he was in a place where you were to learn, but he didn't have any openness to learn. He didn't really want to be there. I assumed he just got the grant money, thought, thank you very much, stuck it in his bank account, and then went there because, I guess, his parents had told him he had to go or some other reason. But it wasn't any openness to want to learn. And so, therefore, he wasn't learning anything, and therefore, they kicked him out, finally. If there's not any openness... Then, then we're not going to grow in any way from God. The first thing we need is that kind of openness. Have you ever had a relationship with someone where they're, they're closed? Where you meet them and you want to get to know them because they're really interesting, but all they do is they blank you. Have you ever had that? They just go and, and you try and you try, but they just blank you and blank you and blank you, give you, you know, English answers. Yeah, no, yeah, no, you know. As soon as you get past the weather, that's it. You know, it's hot today, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think it's going to rain? No. You know, and that's, that's all you ever get from them. And you just think, this is not going anywhere, because there's no openness. 
There's no openness within them to want to share of themselves with you so that you can share with them. And the first thing that we see in David, here he says, I earnestly seek you. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I'm open to you. I want to I know more about you. I want to seek you. I want to find out who you are. But to do that, I've got to open myself up and say, Lord, here I am. You're my God. I seek you. The second thing he does is he's, he's hungry. Or here it says he's thirsty. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Here's David. He's out in the desert, it says, of Judah. He's out where it's hot and the sun is baking down and he looks around him and he says, you know what, just as I am gasping for water, just as I would love to have, you know, some fresh sparkling water that's really nice and ice cold, I'd love that right now, but I can't have it. In the same way, my spirit is longing for you, God. It's thirsty, it's longing. Everything within me is saying, I need you, I need you, I need you. There's that kind of thirst, that hunger for God. Everything within him is saying that, I I want you, I need you. It's not just that hunger, there's there's a focus about it too. He's saying, God, I need you. I don't need anything else around me, I just need you. And one of the key things about David is that he had that kind of focus on God. Do you remember after Bathsheba had given birth and um, the prophet, Nathan was it, who came and he said, you know, he told him this little story and David got really upset and he said, that guy should, should die. And Nathan said, that's you. And he went, oh. And then he said, okay, God, you do whatever you need to do. You see, he was focused towards God. He trusted God. And he said, Lord, whatever it is, whatever is the way forward, then that's the way. Whatever discipline I need because of what I've done and I've tried to cover it up and it's wrong, whatever it is, I'm going to trust you for it. And he he had that focus on God. He went away from God time and time again, David did, but he always came back. Every time he took his eyes off God, he ended up in a mess. But then he always came back to God and said, Lord, I'm sorry. And he redirected that focus back to his father. And he trusted him. You see, there was a real intent in David. He had that sense of which he knew what he wanted. He knew that he had that thirst for God. He knew that This is what I want to happen. I want to grow in you more than anything else. Revelation 3.20 talks about Jesus standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears and opens the door, he's going to come in. That's written to believers. That's not written to non-believers. That's written to the church. He's saying he's there knocking right now on your heart, on your life. And he's saying, I want you to open that door so that I'm going to come in. I'm not going to burst the door down. I'm not going to break it open. I'm not going to come forcing myself in. I'm going to knock and just keep knocking until you're willing to open that door in your life and let me in. You see, first of all, David, he wanted more. More of the realization of the presence of God. He said, 
Lord, I know, I know you're massive. I know I can't take you all in, but I want more of you than I've got already. And he wanted, to, he wanted God. He just had that intent, that focus on God. But it wasn't just learning more about God. It wasn't just seeing more about God. He wanted more of God in him. It became a personal thing. He said, God, fill me. Fill me. Search me and know me. Know my inmost thoughts. He said, fill me again. Refresh me. Keep refreshing me. And it wasn't just that he wanted God in him. He wanted God through him. He wanted the presence of God to come in him and flow out through him. That's why he says at the start of this psalm, You're my God, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. But let's carry on reading. It says, verse 2 to verse 8, he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I stay close to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, the the next thing that David does is that he remembers. He remembers the journey that he's had with his father, his heavenly father. He talks about his love in verse 3. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. You know, love is active. There's no such thing as a passive kind of love. You can say, I love you, I love you, I love you, as much as you like. But if you don't show love... It's not really love, is it? You're just saying words. It's by demonstrating it. It's really by the scars that you're willing to bear that you really show love. By how much of yourself you're willing to give, you show love. I heard about in the 17th century when Oliver Cromwell was the protectorate of England. There was a soldier who was caught... Uh, I don't know what he'd done, but he was sentenced to die. What happened was that they brought the soldier before Cromwell, and Cromwell said to him, you're going to die. Tonight, when the bell chimes for the evening curfew, you'll be shot because of what you've done. And so they waited until the evening curfew came, and they brought the soldier out And the line of soldiers stood there in front of him with their rifles, muskets pointed at him. And they waited for the evening bell to chime for the curfew as a signal to fire. And as the guy stood there, so the bell ringer in the tower nearby started to ring the bell. But there was no noise that came out of it. Nothing. And so they pulled harder on the bell and somebody, nothing. And so the guy's standing there waiting to be shot. The people are aiming. And, and Cromwell's going, what's going on? There's no bell noise. And so they sent off some people and he said, go find out what the problem is. When they got in there, they went up the tower. The guy said, don't look at me. I'm pulling on the rope as hard as I can. There's nothing happening. Somebody's stolen the bell. When they got up to the top, what they found was this man's wife 
holding on to the clapper of the bell. And as they pulled the bell chain, as they pulled the cord, she put herself, her body, between the clapper and the bell to stop it ringing. They brought her down. They put her out in front of Cromwell. And, and they said, what, are you, what were you doing? And she said, that man is my husband. I don't want him to die. And they saw the bruises on her body and the blood that was coming out because she was willing to sacrifice herself for the love of her husband. And Cromwell said, because of what you have done, your husband will live. And he let him go. That's what love is. Love is willing to go to those extremes because there's no limit to what you'll do to express it. You can say, I love you, and watch them shoot. But to go and climb that tower and say, I'm not going to let them take him. That's what real love is all about. And David, he looks back, he says, your love is better than life. On my bed, he says, verse 6, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I stay close to you. Your right hand upholds me. What he's saying is that he, he, he draws on and he remembers all these experiences of the love of God. He looks at all the scars that he's been through, that he has because he's followed Christ. And he thinks about all the scars that God must have because God followed and has loved him. Why do you think it is that Jesus, when he rose again, kept the scars? Why did he say to Thomas, put your, put your fingers there? When you meet Christ face to face, you'll still see those scars in his hands and his feet. Because they are reminders of how much he loves us. You can't take the scars. You shouldn't take the scars away. Because they remind us how much love costs. True love. And David remembers the love of Christ. And the love he has for God. And he remembers it and he gives thanks to God. And it causes him just to sing. To praise God. You know when you're really happy, you know when you're really excited, you start singing, don't you? It just happens, usually in the most inappropriate places. Sitting on the tube, you're there, you're singing away, everybody's looking at you. You thought you're singing in your head, but it's coming out your mouth. You know? But you just, you can't help it. And David's like that, he's going, I, I can't help but sing. I can't help but dance. Because I love God so much. And I just want to be thankful. And tell everybody about how much I love God. But also, notice in this passage, he talks about the experiences of God. Look at verse 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. It's not just the love of God that he talks about, but the presence of God, the ministry of God. He's seen God flowing in him and through him. First he says, I've seen God. I know what God is about because I've seen him. I've experienced him. I've witnessed him. God is not just on the pages of some book somewhere. But I've seen God in action. I've seen God and what he looks like when you face Goliath. I've seen God and what he looks like when there's lions and bears and goodness knows what other animals are trying to take the sheep away that he was responsible for. 
I've seen God and I know what he looks like when I was king or when I'm in the wilderness. Or right throughout his life, he's got loads of experiences of how he's seen God and seen God at work. And so he says, I've not only seen you, but I know about your power, how that power works in and through you. I don't know about you, but I like to travel. And when you travel, there's, there's great things about traveling. Because when you travel, you get to experience a whole load of new things, don't you? You know, you, you get to try things that you would never try. And one of the things I like trying when I travel is different kinds of food. Because everywhere has, like, the best food, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Like, you go to Italy, you get the best pizzas. You know, I went, I went with Josiah when he was younger. Two of us went off for a little sort of uh, week, long weekend break. I said, where do you want to go? He said, let's, let's go to Rome. So we went to Rome. And we had this book in Rome. And in the back of the book, it had the best pizza places in Rome. Right? Yes. So here's Josiah. I can't remember. How, was he 13? Something like that. Maybe a bit. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, he goes, Dad, we've got to work through the list. So we had pizza for breakfast, for lunch, for supper. It had the list of the best pizza places. The pizza places that the Italians go to, not the tourists. Took us ages trying to find some of them, but we found them. We started working our way through the list. They were the best pizzas that you can taste. You go to Brussels, there's a place in Brussels I had the best profiteroles I've tasted in my life. They were chocolatey and creamy and ice creamy. and, And the problem is... So when you come back, it ruins it, doesn't it? You come back and you see on the menu profiteroles, and I'm going, they're not going to be like the Brussels profiteroles. I'm not having them. Pizza, it's not going to be good as Rome. Do I really want pizza? It's going to be poor compared to what I had, you know? And, and so it kind of it ruins it for the rest of the, you know, it's best not to try anything, I think. Just be happy where you are, you know? Because you go there, you go to Holland and you taste the cheese and it's, oh. And then you come back and you get the stuff here and it's, oh. You know? And so it's just like everywhere. It's like that. But what I'm saying is that when you've tasted, when, when you have that experience, mediocrity doesn't seem to quite cut it anymore. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Taste and see, Tim said, Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you've seen and experienced the power of God at work, you're not satisfied with mediocrity anymore. Because you just say, I want more of that. That was amazing. When you've seen God touch someone and heal them, you go, man, that was amazing. I want more of that. When you see God transform someone, Heal relationships, transform their lives. When you see God bring someone who didn't know him to know him, you just say, Lord, I want more of that. That's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. When you see God at work in so many different ways, you just want more and more and more. And you say, God, don't don't stop. Please don't stop. I want more of that. I'm not satisfied with mediocrity anymore because I've seen you at work. And... And David is there thinking about all those occasions in the past where he's seen God. God says, take a little stone, whip it around. You're going to knock that 20-foot guy over, how tall he was. 
No problem. Can't even lift his sword, but hey. Straight in the temple. Bang. Gone. That's it. And he's going, I want to see more and more of the power of God like that at work. And David is saying that's what we need to have in our lives. Now the problem is that so often we surround ourselves with mediocrity. What we do is we cover ourselves, and we do it in the church too. We cover ourselves with, with niceness, with doing good things. There's nothing wrong with what we do, but what we don't do is step out to where God really wants to be at work. And so we join rotors and things in the church, which is great, but that's where we leave it. We never put the faith of, in God to the test outside. We never go out and, and go and try different things. You know when, when you're younger, you know when I was a kid, we used to have missionaries come into the church and you just got like blown away with their stories. Why is that? Why is it that they've got like a zillion and one stories to tell? And I'm just thinking, where are my stories? And God said, well, you go out and you start being out there. That's where the stories are. That's where you see God at work. That's, that's where he said, I'm at work out there. And if you go and place yourself out there, you will see me at work out there. If you stay within the safety net of what you're comfortable with, you'll never see God at work. It's like, it's like when you read... You can go on to TripAdvisor and you can read all there is to know about a particular place. And you can look at all the pictures. You can look at the pictures of the hotels and other people's pictures of the hotels. And you can look at all these things and you can think, whoa, this is really nice. But until you go, you never experience it, do you? It's just pictures. It's just someone else's experience. It's, it's like... Until you actually go there and try it for yourself and you're willing to put yourself out, then, then you will taste and see. Then you will know. Then you will start building your own stories because you're out where God is working in and through you. Not that he's not inside the church. Don't get me wrong. But it needs to be a both and, not an either or. And we need to do both. Go out to the places where we're uncomfortable. Go to the places where perhaps we haven't got answers to all these questions. And we go there and we trust in God and we allow God to use us in those situations. Then we start having those same thoughts and those same stories. Then, as David, we can lie in our bed at night and say, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I remember that you are my help. I remember all those situations where you came and that you helped me out where I didn't know the way forwards, but you were there. I remember those. And that gives us strength and courage and help for the way forwards. David says, that's what we need to do. That's who we need to be. You want to have God looking at you and going, whoa. That's what you need to be like. And just finishing off, it says... Verse 9, they who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. What's he really saying? He's saying here that, Lord, those that are passionate for you, help them to succeed. 
protect them. Help them to grow and and be the people that you want them to be. And those that are against your plans and against your purposes and against your people, Lord, do away with them. Get rid of them. Silence them. May they not be the kind of people that are going to succeed in this world. Because David has a passion for the things of God. He wants to see God's will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's praying. And he's, he's, he's yearning for that. You know why God used David? With all his many faults and his messes in life. God used him because he was constantly hungry for the things of God. He constantly had this passion within him for the things of God. He wasn't perfect. He was far from it. But the one thing that set him apart, the one thing that God saw in him and said, this is someone that I can work in and through, was that hunger for him. And he said, because as soon as you become hungry for God... Then God says, now now there's someone I can use. Now there's someone I can flow my spirit in and through. So what about you? What about me? How hungry are you for God today? How hungry are you for his things? Think about it. If God is looking at you right now, looks inside of you, how hungry are you for him? Do you want more and more and more? He's saying, Lord, I'm not going to stop until I'm, you know, I'm going to be like that little kid in the sweet aisle in Tesco's that's just grabbing. I want more, Lord. And then, and then when, you, when your mom or your dad pushes you past it, you die on the thing and you go, I'm not going anywhere until I get what I want. There was a, I'll never forget, I was preaching somewhere else one Sunday. We had a rail communion at the front. There was a little boy that came forward and he now took the rail and the minister, who was visiting minister, he just, I used to pray for each of the children as I went along. I just put my hand on it and pray for them individually as I was doing the communion. This guy, he just put his hands up and did a general blessing. This, this kid, he knelt there. He said, I want my blessing. He just knelt at the rail. He goes, I want my blessing. And the pastor said, well, you've had your blessing. No, that's not a blessing. He started having this argument with a pastor of the church. He's going, that's not a blessing. I want my blessing. Not that kind of general stuff. I want my blessing. And the pastor just ignored him. He just stayed there, going, I want my blessing. I'm not going until I get my blessing. I want my blessing. Pastor finished communion. He prayed. Said, we're now going to have the final hymn. The kid's still there. I want my blessing. I'm not going until I get my blessing. He finished the service. I want my blessing. I'm not going until I get my blessing. That is the kind of attitude that you and me need to have towards the things of God. That we're saying, Lord, I'm not going from here today until you give me my blessing. I'm not going to go until you fill me because I have such a hunger for you and for your things that I'm not going to leave. I don't care if Ronnie's gone. I'm staying until I get from you what I want from you. Those are the kind of people, that's what we see in David. And that's what God wants to see in you and in me today. That kind of hunger for him. And what do you do? What if you don't have as much desire? You can't rustle up desire, can you? What do you do if you, if you want more of God than you have right now? 
Well, the first thing you've got to do really quickly is you recognize the need. The first thing he says, Lord, I want more of you than I have right now. I'm just going to, I'm hungry for you. I want more and more and more. Fill me. Keep filling me. But I want more, more and more. Just, I'm not going to go until I get it. I'm just going to keep pestering you until I get more of you. You recognize that need within you. Secondly, there's some things that you can do. Firstly, get into his word. Start reading his word. Get deeper into his word. Why do we put on Bible studies and tag groups and have daily notes? We podcast all the sermons and so on. Why did I do the handouts for you? As an opportunity for you to take it away and get deeper into God's word. To not just come on a Sunday morning, think about it and go, yeah, that was all right. Went on a bit, but it was okay. Then go away and forget all about it. But to say, you know what? I want to know more about you, Jesus. I want to know more about who you are. I'm not satisfied with what I have right now. I want more of you. And so I'm going to do something about it. You know? I'm trying to learn Spanish. I know. It's not gone very well over Easter, I confess. You know? And the, my Spanish teacher came to me and said, are you going gonna to start again? No, I could easily just go, nah, you know what? <laughs> but if I really want to learn Spanish, I've got to put the time and the effort and the energy into learning it. It's not going to happen on its own, sadly. I'm praying for the gift of Spanish tongue. It would be awesome. <laughs> Shortcut. It's not happening, you know? So I need to ask God and I need to say, Lord, Lord, Help me to make the time. I really want to learn because I need to learn. And so I need to put something, I've got to make time to do that. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can say, yeah, I'm hungry, go do nothing about it. But he says, look, you've got the Bible, read it. We've got Bible studies, come and learn together. We've got tag groups where we think about different issues, come and learn together, share together. Find out, get involved, take Bible reading notes or whatever ways is helpful to you. But that's what the church is here for, to try and help us to grow and to grow that hunger within us. And the second thing on that is we need to go and do. The hunger comes when you put your faith into action. That's when you realize how much you need. That's when you realize what you want or what you need from God. You need to put it into action. Somebody put it like this. There are conduits and there are containers. Conduits are like pipes. They get something from A to B. And that's what God wants you and me to be. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to be a conduit. And that means that you allow His Spirit to flow through you and out through you into others. It's like a, like a drain at home, like a pipe coming down out your sink. He pours the Spirit of God in at the top and he flows it through you and it goes out. Now other people are like containers. They just come and they go, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. It doesn't go anywhere. It's like having a blocked pipe. What happens then? It all backs up and starts smelling terrible and you have to get Drano and pour it down there. And you rod it and you stuff it and you try and get rid of the blockage because it's not going anywhere. You're just saying, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me. That's not what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone that says, Lord, flow through me. 
Because as we allow God's spirit to flow through us, then it not only fills us, but it fills others too. And lastly, if you want more of God's spirit, if you want more hunger in your life, remind yourself constantly of the things of God. You know, like our world bombards us with so many different messages all the time. Put up in your life, wherever you are, put up, remind yourself of the things of God. In our kitchen at home, we've got sheets up on the wall there, just above where we do the cooking and stuff. Things that we've found useful over the years, just little sayings, Bible verses, whatever, and we stick them up there. And sometimes where you're cooking, you just look up and you read one. And it reminds you of the things of God. Today I have chosen to do this and this and this and this. It reminds you of the things of God. I've done it in the vestry here. I've got the mission statement of the church up, but I've also got things in the vestry. You can see it up on the walls that remind me of the power of God, of the presence of God, of what God is doing in our lives and through us. On our fridge door at home, we've got missionaries. We put them up there, just little missionary cards or their pictures, because it reminds us to pray for them, reminds us that they're serving God overseas, reminds us of the things of God. When I go somewhere, I often plug in my my iPhone. You have a choice. What kind of music are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to Christian music or are you going to listen to non-Christian music? Are you going to use it to remind yourself of the things of God? Or are you not? What are you going to read? You know, there's a balance in all of this, but so often we just come on a Sunday and then we don't spend the week reminding ourselves of the things of God. And what happens is that desire that we have on a Sunday gradually goes away from us because we're bombarded with the things that are not of God throughout the week. And whether you like it or not, they go in. You know, God is looking at you today. And he says, David, what is it that I'm seeing? I want to see someone that is hungry for my presence. That is hungry for me. That says, that's kneeling at that rail and said, I want my blessing today, Lord. I'm not going till I get it. I want to, I want to feel, I want to experience you today anew, afresh. I want more of you than I've ever experienced in the past. What is God seeing when he looks at you, when he looks in your heart? Because it's those kind of people, people like David in the Bible, people who are open to God, people who are thirsting for God, are the people that God looks at and goes, wow, that is someone that I can work in and through so that I can bless them so that they might be a blessing to others. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we're the bride of Christ. And Lord, your bride is beautiful. And so Lord, we ask that you would search us and know us. You already do. But Lord, today we're asking that you would give us more hunger for you. Because as we have that hunger for your presence that hunger for you in our lives. Lord, that's what you look at and you see as beautiful. It's one of those traits that you see in us and you just go, whoa, that's, that's someone I'm going to invest my time and my energy, my spirit in.
because they're receptive to me. So grow that hunger within us, Lord, that we might be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. I thank you that David wasn't perfect by any means. In fact, he was kind of a mess, really. But what he did have was that hunger for you. And because of that, you were able to do amazing things through him. Grow our hunger within us that we might equally do amazing things for you, for your glory. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.